RT would just like me to read the portion of scripture that he will be preaching from. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 1. It's verses 1 through 5a, and I'm reading from the ESV version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Kensington Temple, let's welcome R.T. Kendall this morning. Is there anything more wonderful than this that you know in advance you will go to heaven when you die? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. Let this be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is so good to be back. Louise and I have to pinch ourselves that Colin invited us back again. And uh, we wouldn't miss it for anything in the world. We love KT, we love you, and look forward to these weeks. And thank you for that very accurate introduction. <laughs> uh, you read my words perfectly. <laughs> By the way, I'm just curious, who's that next to you? Your daughter. I, I, can, I can believe it. You didn't, is that really your wife? <laughs> you ugly thing, how did you get her? <laughs> Serious comment. I had not met Simon till today. I prayed for him every day for two months. It was kind of love at first sight. We're gonna have a great relationship and um, wonderful to be with you. And happy birthday, Scott. KT's most eligible bachelor. <laughs> Would somebody pray him in a wife? <laughs> Stubborn thing. Many years ago, over 50 years ago actually, I was the pastor of the Lauderdale Manors Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And we did something that was unprecedented, might have been seen as controversial at the time. I invited Pastor Weaver, the black pastor of the Mount Olivet Baptist Church, 
not far away, to come and preach for me. He brought his choir, and a lot of his people came. Our people made homemade ice cream. It was a lovely evening. And uh, we did it partly because of racial tensions. Not long before, Dr. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Strong feeling. And one thing that was happening that was not so good, that many black churches were changing their message. What had once been heaven they were looking forward to, they were now talking about the promised land being social justice for black people. And understandable uh, that they would think like that. But this pastor aware of that said something so amazing. In the middle of his sermon, these very words, don't take heaven from me. Because he knew how black people became Christians in America. You may not know, but it was the black slaves in Alabama, Mississippi, in the cotton fields, treated so horribly. You wonder how they'd ever become Christians, but here's how it happened. They heard this message that when you die, you go to heaven. They liked that. It gave them something to look forward to. And a lot of the old spirituals that you've heard uh, came out of the deep south from the cotton fields of Alabama. In fact, I think, uh, am I right, that this was sung just very, very recently. It's become the theme of England, who beat Ireland. I'm not supposed to talk about things like this, but you know this song, don't you swing low. Sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. It's because a black pastor preached from Luke 16 about rich, the rich man who went to hell. And Lazarus, who had nothing, was given an angelic escort. Angels took him to heaven, and they fancied it was in a chariot. And then one day in the cotton fields, someone saw an eagle flying, and they came up with this song. Some bright morning, when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. To that home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away when I die. Hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Do you realize at the end of this earthly journey, we're going to heaven. It's for sure. And you can't lose that possibility. You can't. Here's why. When Jesus paid our debt on the cross, that assured all who believe in him, you're going to go to heaven. It's a wonderful thing to know. 
you are actually going there. And yet, there are those, probably because of the way they were taught, we're all influenced by the kind of teaching and preaching we get soon after we're converted. There are those who aren't sure because they think, I might slip and fall between the end. I'll tell you a, a, a sad story. My Aunt Ruth, back in Ashland, Kentucky, owing to the fact that we were brought up in a church that believed you could lose your salvation and uh, kept people, you know, on the straight and narrow uh, because they didn't want to go to hell. And my Aunt Ruth had a heart attack, taken to hospital, and they had what they called code blue. And all the nurses come and rush and in and, and, and revive her. And they did. They did. They revived her. And I was back home in Ashland soon after that. And she said to me, R.T., during that time, I heard the most beautiful music I've ever heard. She was the organist at our church, and she loved music. She said, there was nothing like this. Oh, it was so wonderful. And the next thing I know, I'm looking at a monitor, and I see my heart, you know. Uh, and, and she said to me, why did they bring me back? <laughs> and then, this is the sad part. I'm afraid that maybe I won't make it because I could still fall. I said, Aunt Ruth, shouldn't that have told you you're going, you're going there? You don't need to worry. You can't lose your salvation. She said, is it really true? And I had to pray with her again and give her what you might call the sinner's prayer. And you see, that's the way I was brought up. Never will forget, long as I live, I was driving in my car from my church in Palmer, Tennessee to Nashville. And some of you have heard this story. The glory of the Lord filled the car. And that day, I was given an assurance that I'm going to go to heaven. And all day long, I just couldn't get over it. I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. It was mine. It was secure. You see, Jesus said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, I am with you right to the end. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And Paul said, whom God justified, he glorified. All you need to know that you're going to be glorified is that you have been justified. Say it with me. Whom he justified, he glorified. Again, whom he justified, he glorified. The question is, have you been justified? Well, how do you know? I can tell you how you know. When you abandon all hope in your good works, transfer them to what Jesus did for you on the cross, and God puts to you a righteousness. It's called justification. So whom he justified, he glorified. And Every person here can know beyond any doubt you will go to heaven when you die. Now, when I think of this book of Colossians, realizing that God in his providence chose what books go in the canon of Scripture. Paul wrote other letters 
but they didn't make it in. There were other letters by other apostles. They didn't make it in to the canon. What ones got in? The answer is those that made a contribution that taught you what you need to know. And you could make a case. The main contribution of Colossians is that we are going to go to heaven. And so he says in verse 5, because of the hope laid for you in heaven, as Scott just read. And the theme, in fact, if I could fast forward to Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so just reminder to anybody here, if you're discouraged, chances are there's somebody here at this moment, you're putting on a brave face and, you know, someone comes up to you and says, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. But you could be lying. You're hurting. You're in a real trial. You lost a friend. You lost your job. You got bad news. And you're low as you can be. If there's anybody here like that, do you realize one day all this will mean nothing? That we are going to go to heaven when we die. Now, when Paul wrote this epistle, here's the thing. You wouldn't have known it, but he was in prison. He's not complaining and says, oh, pray for me, I'm in prison. No one would know, reading Colossians, that he was in Rome in prison. And yet he focused on them, emphasizing that they need to be grateful. They need to be thankful for things. Now, what we're talking about, Colossians is one of the most sublime books in the New Testament. You know, when I was at Westminster Chapel, I figured out I dealt with nine different books in the Old Testament, and I went verse by verse in 11 books in the New Testament, but I never touched Colossians, intimidated by it. But that's not for me. And yet, 18 years ago, Michael Eaton, whom many of you know, he's gone to heaven two years ago. I miss him so much. But 18 years ago, I was the guest of President Moy of Kenya. And uh, he knew that Michael lived in Kenya. We we're friends. And he arranged for the two of us to have a holiday in a, on the Indian Ocean in a nice resort. And while there, Michael said, R.T., I believe you're supposed to deal with the book of Colossians. I said, well, Michael, I'm not at Westminster Chapel anymore. And I, I, there's no motivation to go through a book like that. Well, he said, I think you're supposed to do it. And then 15 years ago, two or three years later, he said, you should do Colossians. Well, I remembered he'd said it before. And then eight months ago, I was preaching in Hong Kong with Bobby Connor. He's a prophetic man. And the power of God is on him. And he said to me, RT, when I see you, I see Colossians. You're supposed to do Colossians. And so when Colin Dye invited us back, I said, I'm going to go through Colossians. Now, I have to tell you, heavy stuff in here. So much so, this is why I haven't wanted to deal with it. 
Uh, but it's not easy to grasp even for mature Christians. Uh, you would think that since he's writing to people he's never met, and that's the case, uh, you find out that he heard about them. You see, he had not founded a church in Colossae. So in a sense, why would he be writing to Christians there? He had not founded a church there. Now, he founded a church in Ephesus, so he wrote Ephesians. He founded a church in Corinth, so he wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He founded a church in Thessalonica. He wrote 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. But he hasn't founded a church here, but God puts them on his heart, and he writes stuff to them, and the thing is, deep stuff. You think, why didn't he write to them like to the Philippians? My friend Arthur Blessed, who saves people right out of the world, uh, he gives them his new converts, uh, sorry, Philippians to read, because it's so easy. And you think, well, why wouldn't Paul, when he's writing to the new Christians, there? Give them something like Philippians. But then I, I had this thought. The same Arthur Blessed, he started this coffee house in Sunset Strip in Hollywood, California. And he would try to get Christians to join him on the streets witnessing to the lost. And he said it would be a nightmare to get most Christians to know how to witness. He found the quickest way to get a soul winner is to get somebody converted, teach them how to lead a person to Christ, and they don't have any baggage they have to unpack, no prejudice, they just go doing it. So they, the best soul winners were those who just got saved. And I think much the same way. When it comes to a new Christian, to us this could be heavy, but when they don't know anything and they're just spoon-fed, this, this would be easy for them. For a person, for example, who is converted under a ministry where they are taught they could lose their salvation, well, they grow up believing you can lose your salvation. But then there are Christians who are taught by a person who believes in the absolute sovereignty of God. They don't have any trouble believing it. Or the security of the believer. They don't have any trouble believing it. They're taught that way. And so when Paul writes to the Colossians, uh, he talks about Jesus being the uh, person that reflects God, the image of the invisible God. They don't have any trouble believing that. He's before all things. By him, all things consist. They don't have any trouble believing that because they don't have any prejudices, anything to stop them. And so I pray that together, as we go through this book over the next six months, that the book of Colossians will just come easily to us. Uh, they were not Paul's converts, but he shows a jealousy regarding them as if they were. You know, I, I'm ashamed to admit to this, but there are a lot of preachers who don't particularly care about those who weren't converted under their own ministry. They say, if they're my people, I want to help them. But if they weren't converted under my ministry, I'm not going to worry about them. Paul was not like that. These were not his converts, but he was jealous for them. And he wanted to make sure that they grew in grace. And one of the ways he gets their attention is to remind them 
There is a heaven coming down the road, and that should keep all of us focused. You know, time goes so fast. The older you get, the faster time flies. And a little while, we will all be on the other side. Well, now, this letter was written in the 60s from Rome, and um, it was a wonderful satisfaction for Paul to get to do this. Here's, let me explain it this way. He's in prison. You might say, well, that's the end of ministry for Paul. Locked up, shut up, finished. But no, he writes to the Ephesians. He writes to the Colossians, just 20 miles from emphasis. In fact, they wrote them so close together, you can read Ephesians, Colossians, and there's a little bit of overlapping. He wrote Philippians during this time. It goes to show when you are at a spot where you think you can't do anything for God. And the truth is, you can. And I just wonder, maybe somebody here today, you're in a situation, you say, there's no way God can use me now. Maybe something in your past. Oh, God can't use me now. Or situation in which you find yourself, think I'm wasting time. <laughs> Many years ago, I guess some of you remember this, you know, I used to be a door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner salesman. Why do you look at me so funny? Have you ever, never, never heard of a door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner salesman? But it was a humbling thing. I hated it. All my fellow students at my old college were out pastoring churches. People say, where's RT these days? Well, the answer is he was going up to strange doors. Hello, I'm R.T. Kendall. I've come to show you something new and different for your home. I hated it. It was awful. But I look back at those days, it was as vital to my preparation as anything I've ever done in my life. Wouldn't take anything in the world for it. And whatever situation you're in now, take young David. He killed Goliath. Best thing that ever happened to him. But it also turned out to be the worst thing that ever happened to him because it made King Saul jealous. Samuel anointed David with oil. He was now fit to be king insofar as anointing goes. But you see, just because you've got the anointing or you're full of the Spirit doesn't mean you're ready to do what God's called you to do. Every person's anointing needs to be refined. And so if only Samuel had said to David, it'll be another 20 years before you will be king. So the next 20 years, he spends his time running from Saul just to stay alive. But something else was going on. Do you know what it was? He was writing psalms. And they are in the Bible. So many of the psalms you read that bless you when you're discouraged... David wrote because he was discouraged. He was running from Saul. It's part of God's word. God was using him in those 20 years. And so you may feel you are in between the times or you've come to the place God can't use you. Paul, in prison, writes this wonderful letter. And the high watermark, almost certainly, if we can fast forward, 
Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Down the road, we will unpack that more. But here's the thing. He reverses what he normally would say about Christ being in you. For example, in Ephesians, you have the phrase in Christ or in him, in the beloved, 11 times in the first 14 verses, in Christ. In fact, did you know you've got the phrase in Christ 150 times in the New Testament? Because if you're in Christ, you're set. You're, you're saved. You can't lose it because you're in him. But now, right into Colossians, he turns it around. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here's a word not addressed to the important people in Colossae, because Colossae was an important city, by the way. He didn't write to them. He doesn't write to the elders or to the deacons or those who made just a profession yesterday and you never see them again. The way he puts it, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Not that Timothy wrote it, but he was wanting to give Timothy stature. And he writes it to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And so the purpose of this letter is to do two things, to build up and to warn. Now, some people only want preaching that will build them up, and we need that. There are those who don't like being warned. But like it or not, we all need warning from time to time. And Paul knew there was an enemy. The enemy is the devil. Do you realize the moment you got saved, you got a new enemy? You see, as long as you're unsaved and on your road to hell, the devil leaves you alone. But the moment you're converted, you got a new enemy. He's out there. And Paul knew this about the Colossians. They had no apostle. And he wanted to warn them, there is an enemy. He would write to the Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. There's the devil. And by the way, I don't know whether you pray the Lord's Prayer ever. I don't know that you do or don't. Louise and I pray it every day. Every day, literally, together. There's that phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, the Greek says, the evil one. Evil is just a neuter, neutral term. But the Greek says evil one. Just to remind you that there is a devil out there. Well, now, how does the devil take his shape? Jonathan Edwards says, when the church is revived, so is the devil. And it's just a little caution to anybody here. Maybe you've been in a backslidden state lately. You haven't been coming to church. You haven't been going to cell meetings. You haven't been bringing your tithes to God. The tithe is the Lord's. You don't give him what is his, you rob God, and you haven't been doing that, but then God has been dealing with you, and you say, Lord, I'm back. I just need to tell you, 
When you're revived, so is the devil. So he's going to do everything he can to discourage you. And so Paul warns them of the enemy out there. And the enemy, the chief enemy at the time in certain places were a group of people called Gnostics. It comes from the Greek word gnosis that means knowledge. They had a new kind of knowledge. And according to Jude, they came in through the back door, got into the church, filled it with the people, and they would talk about their new knowledge. And here's what they would say. You know, the Christianity that you have is wonderful, but we can make it better. Oh, really? Tell us more. And it was causing those to believe that Gnosticism made Christianity better when the apostles knew it will destroy the Christian faith. Did you know the book of Jude is dealing with Gnosticism? The book of 2 Peter against Gnosticism. 1 John against Gnosticism. And that's what Paul knew was happening with the Colossians. And he warns them. And we're going to see more about that. The point is, the devil will do all he can. Now, why is this book important? Tell you why. Demonstrates that you need doctrine and experience of the Holy Spirit. Both. Some churches only want doctrine. And the result is they dry up. Some people only want experience. And they blow up. But if you get doctrine and experience together, you will grow up. And that's what Paul wants for these Colossians. Said Hosea, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And if you want to grow in grace, you grow in knowledge. You need to keep the experience of the Holy Spirit right there. But they are both equally important. Because Paul would warn about the day there would be those ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't that, let that be true with you. You want to be learning, but able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so there are those, according to Paul, that are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They believe the last book they read, or the last sermon they heard. And when they believe it, they believe that. Don't be like that. Know what you believe. Have a discernment that you can detect heresy when it's coming. That's what the devil doesn't want. And so Paul writes to warn them. Peter says, be ready to give an answer to those who want to know what you believe. So Colossians will, important, will, will focus on the importance of the person of Jesus. Who he was. What he did. He's the image of the invisible God. He was before all things. By him all things consist. Come to see that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And it's his glory that we long for. Jonathan Edwards said, one thing the devil cannot produce in you is a love for the glory of God. And if you love the glory of God, <laughs> it's a good sign. Paul will talk a lot about prayer. 
in this epistle. How much do you pray? Children spell love, T-I-M-E. What if God spells your love for him? You see, RT, I'm so busy. Oh, you're busy, but you managed to watch your favorite TV program. You're busy. You managed to keep your appointments. God spells love, T-I-M-E. And Paul will talk about that and also being thankful. It's an epistle that focuses on gratitude. Are you a thankful person? I would urge you, before you go to bed tonight, think of three things that you're thankful for for this very day. I look in my diary for today and go over yesterday. And I've already done it. Lord, thank you for safety flying into Heathrow. Thank you that sweet Amanda was there to meet us. Then when we get to our flat, the birthday boy shows up. I don't know what we do without Scott. He's marvelous. The things he got it all ready for us. And uh, uh, we're just so thankful to be here. Mayo Clinic, the most respected medical institution in America, came out with a bulletin two years ago, not based upon Jesus, not based upon the New Testament, but based upon statistics. Thankful people live longer. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Well, Paul said, I'm an apostle. He knew he was an apostle. He's, the word apostle means sent. God sent me to you. And uh, he says that without any apology. He's not boasting. He is stating a fact. But one last thing before I close. Another way Paul knows that these people are really saved. And that is they discovered who their real friends are. Have you? Do you know who your real friends are? When you were in the world, you had worldly friends. But now you're in the church. And here's what Paul says. He says, I heard about your love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And so the person next to you, they're your real friend. I want you right now to turn next to the person, person, and just say, you're my new friend. Just say that, turn, <laughs> you're my new friend. Yeah. And you know what? I saw one husband look at his wife and say, you're my new friend. <laughs> It's so good. We're going to be together in heaven. If you get there before I do, coming for to carry me home, just tell my friends I'm a coming too. Coming for to carry me home.